From the Centre for Corporate Health and Resilia, this is Psychosocial Safety at Work, a podcast where we pick the brains of our experts, clients and partners on how to best navigate psychosocial risks in the workplace and create psychologically safe cultures for those working in them. I'm your host, Nicola Johnston, and for this episode, we wanted to share with you the recording from our most recent client event. It was a panel discussion on what workplaces are doing to create family flexible workplaces. In this panel discussion, you'll hear two personal stories, one from myself and one from Rowan Shridhar, Senior Associate at Norton Rose Fulbright Australia, around why working in a family flexible workplace has been so important to us. Following this, the panel discussion, which was hosted by Deborah Brodowski, our National Manager of Psychological Services here at the Centre for Corporate Health. Uh, she was joined by panellists Hazy Sorrell, our National Manager of Learning and Wellbeing Culture at the Centre for Corporate Health, Bianca Broadhurst, Senior Manager of Inclusion and Diversity from Commonwealth Bank Australia, and Amelia Britton, Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Norton Rose Fulbright Australia. I hope you enjoy this insightful and very relevant discussion. Well, thank you everyone who's joined us so far. I might get started because we've got a a lot to get through in this hour. Um, Thank you everyone for joining us today. I'm my name's Deborah Brodowski and I'm the National Manager of Psychological Services at the Centre for Corporate Health Group. I've been working as a psychologist for over 20 years and I've been at the Centre for Corporate Health Group for over 15 years. I'm delighted to be here today with you for this hour to share with you some insights from some valuable people on such an important topic. Sustainable work that allows space in people's lives for both work and family responsibilities see people not only survive but thrive. This is why we've been working with clients to build family flexible workplaces and that's the topic of our discussion today. In the spirit of reconciliation, the Centre for Corporate Health Group acknowledges the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging and extend the respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people here today. For those of you who are joining us for the first time, the Centre for Corporate Group has been supporting its clients for over 20 years to address psychosocial risks in the workplace by implementing targeted and specific services across the Centre for Corporate Health Employee Wellbeing and Enterprise Support Framework, the CWERS framework as we like to call it ensuring that prevention, intervention and recovery are addressed addressed for each psychosocial risk present within an organisation. Moving to the agenda for today, I'm going to introduce you first of all to what a family flexible workplace framework looks like. Then I'm going to introduce you to two inspirational people to share their personal stories of why family flexible workplaces are so important. And then I shall welcome our panellists for today's discussion and offer their where they can offer their valuable insights. If you do have any questions, please type them into the chat function and my colleague Stephanie will review them and we'll address as many as we can today at the end of the panel discussion. For those questions that we don't get to, we'll respond in writing after the event for today. 
Our Family Flexible Work Framework, like all our wellbeing frameworks, aligns with our CWES model of prevention, intervention and recovery to ensure organisations have a fully integrated system that puts policy into action and provides end-to-end -end support for employees and organisations. You'll receive a copy of this framework after this session today. I acknowledge also that as we progress through this today's sessions, there may be stories you hear, conversations that we have that may resonate and have an impact on you at a personal level. Please ensure that you have the opportunity to reach out to your support people if you're impacted by any of the stories of for today. I'd first of all like to introduce to you my wonderful colleague, Nicola Johnston, our Head of Strategic Wellbeing Projects, who over the last few years has realised just how important it is to work for a family flexible workplace. Over to you, Nicola, and your wonderful story. Thanks, Deb. Um, I've worked for Centre for Corporate Health and Resilia for almost 10 years now, and I've held various roles in full-time uh, work. However, in 2018, my circumstances changed. My partner and I, after undergoing IVF as a same-sex couple, fell pregnant with our first child. And like most stories of becoming a parent, it didn't go as planned. Uh, at 26 weeks pregnant, I was at work and began to feel a dull ache in my back. Leaving work to get it checked out by my obstetrician, I remember saying to colleagues, Deborah included, um, I'll log back in when I get home. Long story short, those dull pains were labour pains. And within an hour or so, our son was born, tiny but mighty. My, my parental leave had begun abruptly and we would spend the next 80 days on the NICU roller coaster of emotions as our little guy did the rest of his growing and development in a humidity crib. This was when I first began to realise how valuable a flexible workplace was. Initially thinking I would take just six months parental leave, I ended up taking 12 months and returned part-time, two days from home and one day in the office to accommodate additional medical appointments associated with having a premie. Offering flexibility by law is just part of running a business, but it's how organisations put policy into action that I value most. I was never worried about having these conversations around flexibility with my direct manager, Rachel, as I felt psychologically safe to do so, which is great because my need for flexibility didn't end there. When our little guy turned two, we noticed some delays in his development. And after a year of specialist appointments, he was diagnosed with a global developmental delay, speech delay and autism spectrum disorder. This diagnosis came at the beginning of this year, a few weeks before my partner gave birth to our second child. So again, we began to have some pretty serious conversations about how we were going to be the best parents we could to both of our kids while still maintaining our sense of self, a big part of which is our work. With our extended family who are extremely supportive living in Newcastle, we knew we had two choices if we were to stay in Sydney, one of us would have to quit work to ensure that we were getting our little guy the early intervention support he needed to thrive. But cutting out an entire salary didn't sound smart, considering the significant cost of therapy, even after receiving NDIS funding. Option two, move to Newcastle. So we had the support of our family close by 
and ask our workplaces to let us work remotely indefinitely. So once again, I asked Rachel for a meeting about my work. Not surprisingly, she couldn't have been more supportive. She in fact told me that she thought as moving to Newcastle was the best decision and of course I could remain working for Centre for Corporate Health and Resilia. My partner's workplace was equally supportive. So in September, we move, a decision that will allow us to manage both our family and work commitments in a sustainable way. Sorry, my apologies, I was on mute. Thanks so much, Nicola, for your incredible story um, and you know, proud that you're still working with us today. I'm now delighted to introduce Rowan Schroeder, Senior Associate at Norton Rose Fulbright Australia and his story that he will share about family flexible practices. Thanks, Rowan. Thanks, Deborah, um, and thank you for the opportunity to, um, to speak today about my own flexible working journey. Um, I've been lucky to have been having some form of flexible working for the last three years or so, um, which has, has always changed depending on what my own um, current situations and needs are and the needs of our family. Um, and that started for me when my son was born um, and I approached my manager to talk about taking three months of parental leave. Um, at that time, I hadn't seen any other dads in our business take that leave and I was, I was worried about the potential impacts on, on my career and progression and, and my reputation internally. Um, as I'm, I'm sure every mother here is uh, as well aware of that, that sort of feeling. Um, and I was pleasantly surprised when my manager re manager's response was, this is about the only time you're ever gonna get to get an opportunity like this, take advantage of it when you can. Um, the rest will, will just work itself out. And I must admit that wasn't at all what I had expected to come from him. Um, He's not necessarily what you'd picture when you're imagining the sort of stereotypical flexible working sort of champion. Um, and indeed, I was incredibly supported by every other senior management manager I discussed my plans with. Um, and again, I had a similar um, response a couple of months ago when I discussed taking a period of leave with our, our daughter, who's, uh, who's now six months old. Uh, that leave with my son brought me closer to my son and to my wife. It let me understand how um, to balance uh, being a parent um, without needing to balance work at the same time. Um, it let me understand how much work went into um, the day-to-day -day of being a parent and making sure things run smoothly, things that I'd always taken for granted. Um, even simple things like making sure you had enough bottles of formu uh, for formula, purees and everything else that always seemed to be in the fridge or the freezer um, by some miracle. Um, and more recently, flexible working for me has involved shifting hours and my workday around to our family needs. A couple of years ago, my wife started traveling interstate um, for work for sort of a week at a time, two weeks at a time, which meant me needing to start work late, finish work early to take care of drop-offs and pickups at daycare, um, get dinner and, and bath time sorted. And that gave me the opportunity to work, uh, to fit my work in around those other things. Um, it was working from home before working from home was was normal and what we do every single day of the week. Um, and similarly, last year when we had the, the COVID lockdown in Melbourne, uh, my son was out of daycare for about six months of the year uh, with two parents both working full time and my wife pregnant and, and suffering from morning sickness and other such things. Um, that would have been a real challenge with him next to us as I'm sure all the other parents uh, here have experienced um, a two year old who can't really entertain himself for longer than about 10 minutes. Um, and I was lucky enough that we could split the day in half, my wife working mornings and me working afternoons and evenings. 
I was fortunate again to have the flexibility from my manager to work in that way um, as suited my needs at that time. Um, at this stage, it's very clearly become a situation of get the work done when it needs to be done and it doesn't matter where or how uh, that happens. Thanks, Deborah. Thanks, Ron. What a wonderful story um, that you shared in relation to your experience working with um, with your law firm. That's, thank you so much. I'd now like to introduce our panel of experts for today. First of all, my colleague, Hazy Serrells, National Manager of Learning and Wellbeing Culture at the Centre for Corporate Health Group. Amelia Britton, Head of Diversity and Inclusion at Norton Rose Fulbright Australia. And Bianca Broadhurst, Senior Manager, Group Inclusion and Diversity at CBA. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining and providing your expertise for today. I'll start off with you, Bianca. And the question I guess first comes to mind is, a family is really the context within which we live, those around us that rely on us. Workplaces are now more than ever needing to step up and support their employees to thrive in their personal lives because evidence points to this directly impacting on their productivity, among other things, in the workplace. Bianca, can you shed some light on what are the specific benefits to organisations in providing family flexible workplaces? Yeah, thank you, Deborah. Um, and I, I want to start actually just by acknowledging that today I'm on Darawal land and pay my respects to the traditional custodians of the beautiful land on which my family and I live. Um, I think it would be remiss of me not to acknowledge um, Nicola and Rowan's stories um, and, you know, the support and care shown by their organisations at a time when they and their families really needed it most. Um, I think for me, their stories are actually so powerful in that they just so clearly articulate and demonstrate the positive impact that workplaces and managers can have, uh, you know, when they're able to adjust and adapt to the needs of their people. And I think the good news that comes with that is that we know that these positive benefits are not just one way, they're actually mutually beneficial. So we see this reflected in human capital research. We know that when people feel supported and well, and if they trust that we're going to be there for them in those moments when they really need it most, they're more likely to be engaged, uh, they have an enhanced sense of well-being, uh, they're more likely to give back to the organisation through things like discretionary effort, um, and they're also less likely to leave the organisation. And of course, this all leads to better organisational outcomes, um, including financial but other indirect benefits associated with things like retention um, and an ability to attract people to your organisation because you're an inclusive and great place to work. Um, if I think about what this means to us at CBA, uh, in our annual engagement survey, over half of our workforce have let us know that they have caring responsibilities. So I'm talking about roughly 25,000 of our people who are caring for children, aging parents, family members with a disability, uh, or family members experiencing domestic and family violence, and you know any other form of caring responsibility. So in other words, on any given day, a majority of our people are navigating a diversity of family and caring needs and challenges. Uh, this means for us to realise the benefits of being a family inclusive workplace, we need to focus on ensuring our approach is inclusive of that full diversity of our people. So your question was to shed some light on specific benefits to the organisations. And I've mentioned some things like increased engagement and wellbeing, retention and attraction of talent. Um, and Deborah, you mentioned productivity. 
Um, so we know that each of those alone brings significant benefits um, and a key benefit to any organisation is realised through a financial perspective. Um, and I just want to take a moment just to consider what this means through a retention lens. So in 2019, and I'm going to highlight that this was pre-COVID, um, you know, in environments where there weren't extended periods of lockdowns, um, new Australian research came out. It was undertaken by Parents at Work and it was the National Working Family Survey. Um, in that survey, they found that 62% of Australian parents and carers reported difficulties looking after their own physical and mental health as they attempted to balance work and family responsibilities. Further, 35% of employees were actively looking or considering leaving their employer due to difficulties combining their job with family life. Um, so I just want to take a moment just to narrow our focus down to that 35%. So let's assume we take a workplace which isn't focused on family inclusion. So for the purposes of this exercise, I just am going to ask us to picture an organisation that has 100 people with care and responsibilities. And I think that's pretty safe to assume that for some organisations, this is a pretty conservative number. So if we think about that 35%, we now have 35 people that we're going to make an assumption are actively looking or considering leaving the organisation. Um, and this means that there's going to be a cost incurred if we need to replace them. So there's some different formulas that we can use to calculate how much it might cost to replace those 35 employees. But for the purposes of this exercise, I'm going to use a formula which is that the replacement cost is two and a half times the departing annual salary. Now we know the departing annual salary can vary from person to person. So to simplify things, I'm just going to apply the average full-time earnings in Australia, which is around $82,000. So now I know that the cost to replace each of those 35 people is two and a half times times $82,000, which is $205,000 per person. So if we multiply that by those 35 employees, it's just shy of $7.2 million. You know, that is not an insignificant amount. And just to put that into perspective, if we did the same thing at CBA, that amount comes in just at over $1.8 billion. So, you know, each of you on this call will have your own numbers that you can replace in that scenario. However, I don't know about you, but in my mind, um, you know, if I, I think about what that means for us at CBA, um, for us, ensuring that we have the right family-friendly practices and culture in place is something that as an organisation, we just cannot afford not to do. I love that, Bianca. I love the fact that you've kind of brought data and research and evidence to build such a compelling case, um, as well as the human-centred approach. So thank you for that. That's so insightful. Over to Amelia, I guess from a diversity and inclusion perspective, what does a family flexible framework do for bridging the gender gap? Thank you, Deborah. Thanks for having me. Um, I would also like to um, acknowledge the traditional custodians on the lands that we're all meeting on all across this country, I'm, I'm guessing, um, and pay my respect to Elders past, present and emerging and any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples here with us today. So this, this topic's really um, front and centre for me at the moment. We are redesigning our family flexible or family friendly strategy and uh, framework at the moment. And some of those really important components are looking at 
the family structure. And Bianca's already mentioned some of these components, but if you think about all of your policies and programs and how inclusive they are, we need to break that down to the nuances for culturally diverse families and Indigenous families and rainbow families and what that really looks like in practice. And we need to think about carers in their entirety. So often we go straight to what we can do for mothers and, and parents with new babies. And whilst that is a really unique part of life and something that needs to be addressed in the workplace, I think uh, a really inclusive uh, caring uh, framework is what is needed at the moment. And we're starting to flip that a little bit on its head at the moment and starting to think about some of those provisions around kinship care and grandparents and people who are experiencing um, perhaps some of the, the uh, more difficulties when it comes to caring responsibilities for people and family members with disability and long-term illness, for example. So I think once you have your um, components of your family flexible or family friendly framework, you can start to unpack what that looks like in terms of policies and programs. And if I think about how this all plays out in terms of gender diversity and narrowing that gender gap and creating gender parity, there are a few elements that I'm certainly focusing on at the moment. There's a great new report that's been released by Chief Executive Women and Bain recently. And it talks about this new term of equitable flexibility, which I love. Because right now we're kind of on the precipice. We've we've opened our minds globally to what it looks like to work in a different way. And people like me are no longer having to beat the drum about the fact that we can perform our work differently and we can perform it from anywhere, essentially, in, in some cases. So we've opened our minds to hybrid working models. And whilst that is a great step forward, I think we need to be really careful about potentially a new gender divide that's coming. And this, this report, which is excellent, and I, I recommend uh, downloading a copy if you haven't seen it yet, but it starts to unpack some of that data. It starts to look into what equitable and inclusive flexibility looks like in the workplace. Some of the statistics are a little alarming in terms of post-pandemic, some of the research suggests that women are still performing those domestic duties and those caring duties at home, homeschooling, for, exact, uh, for instance, um, in much greater numbers than potentially men are. Uh, three times more likely the research suggests that women are performing those, those caring responsibilities. So we need to be really mindful of that when we create our family flexible frameworks and strategies, that we're creating flexible uh, practices for everyone. So where we can mainstream processes and policies and ensure that everyone is involved, then that's going to put us in great stead. And I think any organisation, in my opinion, who can crack this one will certainly pull away from their competitors. People are um, seeing this as a, a necessity now. They want to work flexibly and they're not going backwards. So we need to, to work out how we can do that inclusively. And I think uh, ensuring that senior male leaders who 
potentially can return to the office still continue to work flexibly in, in some capacity. I think that will be one of the, the game changers. And the report unpacks all sorts of really practical um, suggestions. So, so I think that's important. But when we talk about mainstreaming, I do think that's the, the benefit for gender diversity. If you think about parental leave policies that are appealing to men, if you think about caring roles and opening policies and definitions to be a little broader and potentially enticing um, a more in inclusive and, and broader stretch, then I think that that will make the difference when it comes to gender parity. Thanks, Amelia. And I love the definition, the broad definition provided in terms of those individual differences that we need to take into account, not just the normative things that come off the top of our head, but really think deeply about what the individual differences are when we're talking about family flexible work practices. And then building on that, the, the, in, the how the important impact of gender has in terms of this conversation that we're having. And to your point about having male ch senior leader champions making a difference, standing up to say, I can perform and I can still choose to work in this way. And that's a real culture shift in terms of an organisation. So thank you. That, that They're wonderful insights that you've shared today. I guess, Hazy, we know that having policies is a great starting point, but unless you're able to put that into action, they're just words on a page. So I'm wondering what can workplaces do to create a culture which brings these policies to life? Great question and thank you so much. I've just loved the powerful examples and powerful stories we've heard already so far in this, gosh, half an hour, but it's been jam-packed full of gold. Uh, it's been wonderful to hear and to sit back and listen. Um, I, I'd also I'd very quickly like to, of course, acknowledge the traditional owners of the land that I'm dialing in from today, the Darug people, paying respects to the elders past, present and emerging of these lands where we are uh, very uh, happily at times locked in. <laughs> Let me answer this question uh, around, uh, I suppose, how do we actually play them out? And, you know, to Amelia's point, and you alluded to this perfectly, and of course, Nicola and Rowan both gave examples of the importance of leadership in actually putting this into practice. If we think of policies and frameworks almost as the brain, you know, the brain that's sitting behind the intentions behind flexible family, flexible workplaces, Leaders are the hands and feet, essentially, in how these actually will play out. And it's leaders that play such a central role in making not only these, these frameworks and policies accessible, but also in then translating them and, and, and creating a bit of a person-centered approach to the policies and the practices. So that doesn't, it isn't the exception, but rather the rule that we live within, uh, as opposed to kind of trying to plug this gap here, plug this gap here. And I think that that's really important. So when we think about leadership and the role that they play uh, within this concept, uh, I, I like to see it as a bit of a spectrum, on a, on a little bit of a spectrum. You know, in the early stages, we really want to get a sense of well, what's the psychological safety look like? at the organizational level, but also at the team level. You need that first. Psychological safety is critical for us to be having these conversations as a starting point. We're gonna have all the policies and all the frameworks, but without the psychological safety, unlikely that I'm gonna be actually having that conversation. To Nicola's point, she felt psychologically safe to have that conversation, to open up that discussion, to look at what's going to work for me. So I think at the early stages, that's important to, to get to have a read around what that is. And if there's some gaps to bridge potentially in that space, we also want to then, of course, be equipping our leaders to navigate 
the gray area that this forces us into. And it's not always comfortable. It's an uncomfortable space. Lives, our personal lives are messy, chaotic, and they're different uh, from person to person. It's as we know, you know, right? We're psychologists, Topher and I, we, we touch on the messiness all, all the time. And it's not always something that we just can, that we na naturally know that we can trust intuitively or know how to navigate it. We need to ensure we're equipping our leaders to navigate that in a way that is empowering, that they feel comfortable going into it, that, you know what, I kind of know what to do. I kind of know a little bit of the case studies. I know what it can look like. And it is different from what the stereotype might be. And that's okay. And I, and I know how to lean into these conversations. Uh, you know, a really useful thing to think about within this and often comes up in our experience is it can be easier for leaders to participate in flexible practices within their team with high performance. Uh, and this is a little bit of that bias that comes up when poor performance starts to, to creep in or when performance is less than than um, than ideal, we default to, all right, well, let's remove all the flexibility. Let's, that, that's the first the first point of call potentially. You know, are we equipping our leaders to know well, how do I manage performance within flexible workplace practices? Do I know how, what that looks like? And we've seen a lot of this come up with COVID. You know, one of the happy side effects of this time was that it's really opening up and, and opening eyes to a lot of these more complex gray areas around how I manage my team remotely, how I check in on well-being, how I stay connected, how I monitor um, work performance and work output without having them there physically in front of me uh, every single day where I know exactly where they are physically. So that's, that's important. You know, are we intentionally providing our leaders with the tools around that? Are we also intentionally looking at how workflow is designed? Uh, you know, again, to that point around we want workplace flexibility to be the norm, not the exception. When we're operating and when we're putting in place flexible workplace practices as a one-off, we can fall into the trap of, well, this applies to families or this applies just to people with young kids. Uh, it doesn't apply to me. And then there, there can be some resentments there, maybe some stereotypes that are that are um i suppose perpetuated over time and ultimately it defeats the purpose of what we're trying to really build and grow within these practices longer term so looking at that around how how we're doing that you know amelia to your point uh you know having having senior leaders who even when they can work in the office nine to five still make the choice to continue to work flexibly i can't think of anything more powerful than that and starting to really play this out um in a way that's practical and we can see it sustaining into the future without falling back into some of the cognitive biases that many of us could could fall back into uh in this particular space uh, and again look to that point it's important that we be conscious around what those might be proximity bias is a real thing and as we go into hybrid workplaces and hopefully we sustain them and i would love that uh that we that we go into it knowing that we have cognitive biases and let me be intentional about creating spaces that try and limit them as much as possible what am i setting how am i setting my Wonderful. Work, not a factor for me as a leader or for me as a colleague. Wonderful. My apologies, Hazy. I, 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 um, thank you so much, Hazy. I think that's wonderful. And it, it is so important that six, you know, we do know that 60% of an employee's well-being is found through that quality of the relationship with the line manager. And what you've highlighted there is how leaders, you know, have done a wonderful job, I guess, you know, 
forcibly in, in the last 18 months to um, be more flexible. And it's now that the next challenge is and the next opportunity for leaders is using those skills to move towards a more hybrid workplace, um, which is which is a wonderful thing that we can look forward to as, as we move to the next phase of, of um, working. I'd love to hear from Bianca and Amelia again in terms of, I guess, your success stories, your initiatives. So I'll start with you, Bianca. With respect to family-friendly, flexible workplace practices, what have been the most successful changes or new initiatives you have implemented? Thanks, Deborah. Um, I think just reflecting on kind of Hazy and uh, Amelia's, um, you know, what they've spoken about, I think a lot of it is the examples, I think, are really rooted in those examples around normalising caring responsibilities, um, but also thinking about, um, you know, how do we share the stories of leaders or how do we promote those leaders, um, you know, because because of the important role that they play. So other leaders see, you know, uh, and, and are motivated to act kind of within what the expectation has been set by the through those stories. So I think I've already shared that we have many different types of families at CBA, you know, single parents, blended families, same sex families, culturally diverse First Nations. Um, you know, that all comes with a diversity of different needs and challenges. Um, and so actually for us, family, I, I actually wouldn't mind starting there. We've actually defined family as really broad. Um, we recognise that family actually means different things for different people. And I love that, Amelia, you know, the thinking around kinship of obligations is one really great example of that. Um, even for, uh, families who are LGBTI, family means something different to them than what it might mean for others. So, you know, those are the bits that we've really laid as principles in terms of the work that we're doing. Um, it is very much aligned to the thinking that Amelia is also doing around how do we ensure that what we're doing is inclusive. Um, we've actually taken, um, the approach we take at CBA is to actually start by listening to our people. Um, we need to bring in those diverse, understand those diverse experience and actually what do they need the most? And so with that, um, some of the things that we've done, uh, we've created a new parents wellbeing guide, which is um, very inclusive. It, it um, has examples of where to go if um, you're experiencing uh, anti or postnatal depression and it's for all parents. It's not just everything. The language is very important in that wellbeing guide. Um, if you're experiencing domestic and family violence, because sadly we know that that can actually um, increase or there's a heightened risk around domestic and family violence when you're welcoming a child. Um, we've expanded our support. You know, we're thinking about, similar to Amelia, uh, you know, family members who are ageing. We actually engaged with the um, Centre for Corporate Health during COVID to actually work with us to design education resources to raise awareness around, you know, what are some of the experiences that uh, First Nations families are having around those kinship obligations? Um, what is the experience or the considerations that we need to have around families? Um, who are where people identify as LGBTI um, that might show up in the workplace in a different way. So educating our managers, but also our people to also recognise when they may not be feeling well in those moments or need some additional supports, what they can do. Um, we expanded, um, you know, our thinking around our parental leave policy to um, provide equal leave, paid leave options for people experience loss. Um, you know, there's it's just a constant evolution of, you know, you, we look back now and go, God, why did we ever 
um, not have that equality in there, but that is, you know, that they are definitely the learnings of what we're bringing into things that we're doing. Um, in terms of sharing uh, stories, um, our people have actually said what they want to hear about is how other families, how are they navigating CBA during this time? You know, it's actually around the context with which we work. And so, um, you know, that continued sharing of stories is incredibly important. Um, I don't think we can underestimate the importance of our CEO in his weekly note, you know, sharing about how he's managing work with homeschooling. Um, you know, that's incredibly powerful and it starts the tone from the top is incredibly important. Um, I just want to finish. I think there's one thing, um, Hazy, you mentioned about people who um, might be at risk. Um, and I think in just one story that I want to share with you, there was a beautiful video that was produced by our wellbeing team. Um, and I think it really highlights the impact that a, a manager can have in that relationship, the importance of the manager-employee relationship. Um, we had an employee and they were at a very low point in terms of their wellbeing. Um, and they had a teenage daughter um, and on a particular day, having a really tough day and they didn't know where to go. And the only person they could think of to call was their manager. Um, the manager um, picked up the phone, um, was able to get some expert help in to help that employee. Um, and the actions that that manager took that day um, actually have meant that that employee is still with us. Um, and you know, this story that they share is around actually now being there to be um, able to watch their teenage daughter thrive and grow. Um, and I think, you know, the, that safety, the leader's role in that is just incredibly important. Thank you, Bianca. And and, and you're right. It's a, I love that story that you shared there. And I think it is the power of the storytelling. I know um, as we are obviously currently at the time of recording in lockdowns in many parts of Australia, it's the from a family perspective, it's sharing the stories and learning from one another. How are you getting through the day? What are you doing? How can we get through this? It it builds on just that collective consciousness, that community ethic, um, and really helps us kind of work out how we can continue to be flexible. So um, I love those stories you've shared. Thank you. And over to you, Amelia. I'd love to hear what kind of initiatives you've um, been able to implement. What successes have you had? Thanks, Deborah. Um, there are a couple that... Um, spring to mind is probably having a, a bigger impact um, in terms of what we've been able to implement more recently. One was this concept that I've already mentioned, which is our flexible parental leave. So um, Rowan spoke earlier about his experience of taking quite a significant chunk of time, three and a half months in, in a row. But what we've been able to do since then is to adapt the policy to be more flexible. We really needed to get inside the minds of men, if you like, um, to see what it is that would appeal to men in our business in a large law firm, um, because we could see that men weren't taking the opportunities that were there in front of them and had been for a long time. We'd had quite a, an inclusive policy for quite a significant number of years, but the number of men taking that opportunity was very low. So. We now have a flexible policy so that you could take that 18 weeks of paid parental leave in addition to unpaid leave. You could take that flexibly, whether that's one day a week, a couple of weeks at a time, a month, and then a couple of days a week. Really, people can schedule it however it's going to work for 
both their family and the business unit within which they work. So that has been a big shift and I can see uh, a significant number of men taking up that opportunity now. And, and what that does, of course, which is fairly obvious, but it really um, creates a, an even playing field. It removes some of that stigma. It's not always the women who are the ones disappearing whilst they are the ones giving birth. Actually, we know and we heard from our men that they wanted to be involved. It just didn't look quite right for most of them. So that has been a real success and isn't necessarily more costly. It's just a different way of doing things. So that has been a positive shift. We're also allowing people to take it over a longer period of time. So we're giving people um, two years from the birth date to use that, that flexible parental leave, which also is a big shift. Um, something else I wanted to talk about, which is a new initiative, is that our most recent diversity and inclusion survey told us that 26% of our workforce, so quite a significant proportion, care for people with disability or long-term illness. And so we knew that that was a, a very specific cohort that we wanted to support. Um, so we created a carers network. So that network comes together really as a, a support network for each other um, and has been really beneficial for me to hear from them in terms of what they could uh, receive from the firm, what we could be doing better to support them. So where we where you can survey it, it absolutely does inform programs and, and initiatives. Um, so what they told us is that essentially flexible work practices is what they really need. And that goes across all caring roles. So that, that was interesting. The other piece of information is that they didn't want to be pitied anymore. They wanted understanding and they wanted to be heard. And when things went belly up, they wanted to be able to draw on those provisions like our flexible work practices or our agile, more emergency ad hoc flexible work practices. But they wanted um, a different type of conversation. So that has, that's been very beneficial. We've been able to do some work around that. So an, another area that was um, broadening our initial focus from, from parents to other types of carers, which has been really successful. Um, and the final piece that I wanted to mention is the coaching we provide for people coming back from parental leave. It's for everyone. And it it is pretty unique to be offered one-on-one -on -one executive style coaching when you're going through this period of time in your life. And that has been really successful. We measure quite carefully people who are coming back from parental leave, but also whether they're staying with us one, two, three years beyond that, so that we can measure whether those programs are working. And they seem to be. It seems to be having a really great impact for people. And that coaching can be about strategies to deal with home life, um, but it can also turn into career conversation, which we know is, is really important for women who are the majority of the people taking up this opportunity. So another another really great program to draw from. Thanks, Deborah. Thank you. They're wonderful initiatives that um, that you, you've suggested there. And I think they, they have such a powerful and positive impact in terms of changing culture over time, which is which is great to see. Um, a question for Hazy. Um, our families are so different and therefore our family needs and responsibilities vary greatly. How can workplace frameworks, policies and procedures that focus on flexibility still remain agile and accommodating for these individual needs so that you can see the nuances within the framework? 
Yeah, no, it's such a good question. And, and really, I, I feel Bianca and Amelia have both really given us examples already around how we future-proof this, how we make it sustainable into the future. And, and the, the, the key really is that it's person-centered. It's not group-centered, right? So it's not a particular group or a particular time of life, but rather it's a person. And our unique lives and our personal worlds look different. Um, they're, they're different responsibilities. They, there's different seasons. There's different conditions that I might have playing out. And I think, you know, I would remiss if I didn't link this back into this concept around general well-being and how we balance work and life. And, and I, I think ultimately as we move into the future, as this becomes something that we're talking about more and we're, we're implementing actively, we really are building a, a world and a culture where success at work does not need to be and is no longer in conflict or in competition with success at home. That this concept around to balance, somehow balance the two and make work instead it's not about balance it's about harmony that I have harmony between I am able to manage success at work because there is there are processes in place that are practices and frameworks that I can implement when personal world knowing that when I can do that I'm better at work knowing that I benefit if, my, if I'm successful in my personal world I'm successful more likely to be more successful at work and I can sustain that longer term um, and one of the elements that I think I would just add very quickly to that is of course longer term we want to be equipping individuals with you know of course the link around leadership is so important I talked to that already we want to be equipping individuals with the tools and the strategies that we need it's to be able to use flexibility to my advantage. You know, we often hear flexibility is a double-edged sword. It doesn't need to be, right? So do I know how to switch off? What are the tools and resources that I have to help me to switch off so that I can uh, give my full self to my personal space when I'm there uh, and I can then give my full, I have then the energy to give my full self to my professional realm. So these, I think these are the concepts and strategies we'll need to be thinking through as we sustain this into the future, as we make sure that we stay agile um, as we see these practices, flexible work, flexible family, flexible practices expand out and become part of how we live and how we work. Thanks, Hazy. I have some questions from the audience um, that I'd like to get all of your insights from um, in the first instance. So um, I guess we'll start with um, you, Bianca, and, with, and each of you will get an opportunity to answer the questions. How should managers communicate flexibility with their staff? How do we start? We, we've talked about leadership and changing culture. How do we get managers to start communicating flexibly about flexibility, about flexible work practices with their with their teams on an individual basis, rather than it waiting for the employee to take the initiative and um, ask the manager? How do we flip that around? Bianca, yeah. have you got any tips about how we can kind of upskill leaders in this space? I think it's just making it part of, you know, your everyday team meeting practices. So, you know, whether that's a, every, every team has its own rhythm, don't they? You know, whether they have a weekly team meeting, but actually having it as a standing agenda item, um, just putting it in there, make it, um, bake it in <laughs> to the team meeting practices. So then it's just an open conversation. Um, you know, how are we going to make this work for us this week? What do we need to get through? What do we need to do? And it's just, part of normalising it. So that would be my tip. Wonderful. Thanks, Bianca. Amelia, your thoughts? I'm keen to hear. 
Yeah, a couple of things. I think um, I mentioned before the the impact of leaders working flexibly. So there's nothing better than seeing that role modelling. Um, but I, I think this team concept is where it's at. So I think actually what Bianca's talking about in terms of baking it in, it's part of the way uh, work gets done and therefore it forms part of the team conversations really important. And I think you know, long gone are the days where we're bolting part-time arrangements on. Actually, the way to look at it now is that everyone can work flexibly in some capacity. It looks very different depending on what type of role you have and what type of organisation and industry you're in. But actually, we know now that everyone can have flexibility. So looking at, at that holistically in a team sense is much more successful. And so from a leadership perspective, it should be a little simpler to divide and conquer when it comes to, to responsibilities. Wonderful, thank you. And and Hazy, your thoughts? Yeah, look, I don't know that I could add much more to that. That's exactly right. It really is about looking at it from a team perspective. Yes, have the person-centered conversations, but as a team, uh, how are we, what's the expectation? What's the norm? And the norm is that we work flexibly. So we have to have these conversations. They have to be baked in uh, because that's how we operate and that's the rhythm of our team. Uh, and again, to Amelia's point, it will look different from person to person. And I think, honestly, there is nothing more powerful, uh, particularly now, and we've seen so many examples of it play out in the last 18 months of leaders sharing they're a little bit of insight into their own personal worlds and what they do, how they access flexibility. I think it, that that has such a powerful uh, impact longer term. Thank you. Oh, Bianca, did you want to add something? Deborah, I was just going to add to that this thinking around flexibility being something that's static. It's a one-off conversation, but doing it regularly also means that people's needs are going to shift from day to day or week to week. So finding a rhythm to bring that in on a regular basis actually is recognizing that you know you'll have some people in your team who might need it more one week than others and so you you kind of just work around and adjust to that I love that and I love it's just a, a normal conversation item rather than as you've all mentioned bolted on it's like, oh by the way flexibility no actually it's just a part of our normal how are we getting work done this week how are we getting it done today what does that look like for us what are our individual needs and it's like, not fixed and it's not fixed. No, it's fluid. It's fluid. Mm. One more question, um, which I think is, is great. So obviously Norton Rose Fulbright and uh, CBA are doing amazing work in this space. For organisations that are starting out in this journey, what's your first step for building a family flexible workplace? Employee surveys have been mentioned, but what's a good place to start? What, what What's our first step on this journey? Amelia, I'll go to you first. Thanks, Deborah. Yeah, look, surveys. I can't. Um, I can't speak more highly of the the um, information that then informs programs, and you really start to, if if you create the right survey, of course. And that's a whole other topic that um, is is quite challenging in terms of getting the questions right. Um, but I think surveying focus groups, so where you can actually speak to staff, and it sounds like CBA do that beautifully. Um, to really ascertain what it is that's going to make a difference with anything new, I think is is very powerful. But I think um, perhaps starting with a, a framework, looking at the variety of families and caring roles that people play, um, if surveying is not something that can happen straight away, then that, that starts to, to build out 
um, what those programs might look like. Wonderful. Bianca, your thoughts. What's a first step look like from your perspective? Yeah, look, I echo Amelia. I think it has to start with, um, well, for us, it would be listening to our people first. Everything we do starts with that listening. Um, and then we start to look at, well, what are other organisations doing? You know, then it becomes the gap analysis. Do that discovery first um, and set an aspiration for well, what is it as an organisation? Where do we want to be? Um, and what are the key things we need to go for first um, based on what are those insights? Um, that would be my recommendation. There's so much you can do, um, but I think by having those, what is it that your workforce actually need um, and how can you find ways to deliver on those? That that's that would be my top tip as the starting point. Wonderful. Thank you. And Hazy, I mean, in consulting work that you've done with organisations, as a first step, what do you recommend? Well, look, I have to wholeheartedly agree. <laughs> Do, do the do the listening piece first, the focus group surveys. And look, it's important, yes, listen to what the needs are and also explore what would stop them from, act, from activating it. So almost that psychological safety piece. What would be the blocks, right? What would stop you? Why would you not uh, participate in flexible work practices should they be available to you? And I think that that's really useful to explore in combination with this so that you know what obstacles might I reach. And very early on, uh, try and address those. Deborah, can I add, um, even though we've been on this journey for a long time, we um, participated in a benchmarking index this year. There is now for the first time, it's very aligned to your framework actually, very aligned. Um, it's the Family Friendly Workplace Index. Um, it's an Australian first, um, and I'll disclose that um, CBA were a founding partner to that because we knew that there was no way that organisations could benchmark what they were doing against best practice. Um, so there's now the ability to do that in Australia, and I think then using those insights to think about what does that mean in terms of the framework that we want to have as an organisation, um, you know, mapping that to make sense for you, that, you know, so I think that is a, another great way to, to kind of think about, well, where are we um, in terms of that? Where do we want to be? Thank you. And by the sounds of things, there are so many wonderful resources out there now that can help employers, workplaces that are starting out on this journey or working out what the next step of their journey is. There's so many resources, so many knowledge experts, so many people to share and learn from to be able to help on that journey, which is which is such a great place to be in terms of um, progressing workplaces for the future. Mm. So I do thank you for your all your expertise and insights today. We've I've certainly learnt a lot myself, and there are so many uh, additional resources that I'm going to start digging into as well because um, I love constantly learning in this topic. I am mindful of the time, so unfortunately we'll have to wrap up here. I could be talking to these three wonderful people as well as Rowan and Nicola for days and days on end. If you have submitted any questions and that weren't answered, we will send them out to the panellists this week to answer for a response. If you'd like to discuss how we can support your organisation's strategy for implementing a family flexible workplace, please reach out to myself or my colleague Hazy. I do thank you for your participation and contribution today. Thank you, Bianca. Thank you, Amelia. Thank you, Hazy. Thank you, Rowan. And thank you, Nicola. Your wonderful insights um, and import have certainly enriched this conversation. So take care and good luck. Um, and we'll share this, um, we'll share these insights with you later on this week. We hope you enjoyed listening to that discussion as much as we enjoyed creating it. 
A huge thank you to all our speakers and panellists. And if you would like to discuss how we can support your organisation's strategy for implementing a family flexible workplace framework, please reach out to us at the Centre for Corporate Health on 02 8243 1500 or email us at admin at cfch.com.au.